As mentioned, the scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. For God gave us a spirit not to fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This evening, it's our pleasure to have David and Dinah Kasky with us tonight. Uh, in case you are not aware, David is a missionary to the Bahamas that Graber Road has worked with for and supported for a long time. So um, at this time, it's my pleasure to introduce David, and we'll receive your report now. All men seek for immortality. In every walk of life, those in every society look for something that lies beyond the grave. Alan, I've never walked through a cemetery with somebody who said to me, this is what I've lived my life for, so that I could have a plot on this hill with a stone with my name and two dates with a dash between them. Everybody wants something more than that in life. In the pre-dawn of an early African morning, a young boy prepares his breakfast, a cornmeal mush type thing that he calls posho. He takes a portion of that and puts it in a special dish, slips out of his mud hut and into the edge of the forest. And there at the foot of a sacred tree, he places his offering and bows his head and offers thanksgiving to the spirits of his ancestors, hoping that they will receive this portion and welcome him when his life is over into their realm. He'll return later in the day, seeing the food is gone, never thinking that it was devoured by wild animals, but believing deep in his heart that it was eaten by the spirits of his ancestors, and they have found pleasure in his sacrifice. He's seeking immortality. But immortality is not found in heathen superstition. 
In the Egyptian room of the British Museum in London, England, one may see the mummified remains of men who lived and died before Western civilization was even born. Their names had gone down into silence when Abraham chased playmates up and down the alleyways of Ur of the Chaldees. Their names had been forgotten when Moses first saw the moon rise over the mighty Nile. Yet by some lost marvel of skill and science, their bodies have been preserved and brought down through millenniums for living eyes to see. They strove to beat the grave. They strove for immortality. But immortality does not lie in chemistry. I once walked with an old Italian through the galleries of Genoa's Camposanto, a great cemetery. One is spellbound by the marvels of those statues wrought in parmas or in flawless Parma marble. Statues that were carved by such masters as Oringo and Monteverde. Art so meticulously perfect that it shows the wrinkles in the aged face of an old man and the sewing in a small boy's scuffed shoe. Among all of those statues, there was one that stood out to me more than all of the rest. It was a statue of a little peasant woman. Her shoulders were bowed with the toil of years, and in her arms she carried loaves of bread and strings of chestnuts. The guide told this story. He said, for 50 years this woman was a familiar sight on the street corners of Genoa. In the heat of summer and when the icy blast would come down from the Alps in the winter, she would stand on the corner and peddle her wares, bread and chestnuts. And all of the time she nursed in her heart a strange desire. Finally, near the end of her life, it was enough. She took the savings of a lifetime and sought out the home of Monteverde, the great sculptor. Her request, that I be carved in imperishable marble so that when I lie down for my last and final rest, I can look out over the streets of the city that I've known and loved. <coughs> and so today she looks with eyes that can't see the bustling thoroughfares of the modern city of Genoa. She listens with ears that do not hear the tread of passing feet. And beneath that statue lies the dust that was one time a human being that sought desperately for immortality. But immortality does not lie in stone. Everybody wants immortality. Even those who live their lives not thinking they want it. Robert Ingersoll, the renowned atheist and agnostic, reached the end of his life and he cried out on his deathbed, Oh God, if there be a God, 
Have mercy on me and my soul if I have a soul. And deliver me from hell if there be a hell. Immortality is available to all of us. For Christ hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10. Simple. You know, the concept of immortality is not frightening. It's not complicated. It has nothing to do with the great cathedrals of Europe or the magnificent buildings that people build in the name of religion. You see, Jesus didn't come to give us religion. There was religion when he got here. He said, I am come that you might have what? Life. And that you might have it more abundantly. And he offers through the gospel immortality, eternal life. That word gospel just means good news. And the good news is pretty simple. It's that Jesus came as the Son of God and gave his life for your sins and mine. He died for us. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And on the third day he arose from the grave, victorious over death. And then shortly thereafter ascended back to the throne of God on high. That he might prepare a place for us as his children. And he encourages us to find immortality through the gospel, and simply enough, that is found by reenacting the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's done through baptism. You know, we remember the things that we do far more than the things that we say. We remember the things that we accomplish in life more than simply the things that we read about. You learned how to drive not by reading the Texas Department of Public Safety's little book on driving. Some crazy person got in the seat beside you and taught you how to drive. I learned to fly an airplane when somebody crazier than that got in the seat beside me in an airplane and I took off and started flying. I didn't learn to fly by reading a manual on how to fly. You remember reenacting the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your baptism, don't you? You remember that time when you were baptized? You'll never forget it. You see, our sins have separated us from our God. And you did he make alive who were dead through trespasses and sins. Being dead in sin, we are buried with Christ in baptism. And there we come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. And we rise to walk in a newness of life and we live with the hope of immortality. It's that simple. It works in the Bahamas. 
It works right here in this community. It works in Africa. It works in the Philippine Islands. Wherever people are who are responsive to the gospel, they become recipients of immortality. Isn't that beautiful? Simple, easy, don't have to have a PhD to understand it. Don't even have to have any particular education to understand it. We had a young man who came and asked for an opportunity to go to school at the Tanzania Bible School in East Africa many years ago. His name was Sam Whaley. He didn't have any education. Didn't know how to read or write, never had a pair of shoes in his life, and I'm not sure that they made shoes that were big enough for his feet anyway. And those in charge of the school said, Sam Whaley, you can't go to school. You can't read and write. You can't come here to learn how to be a preacher. He said, I can hear. That convinced him. <laughs> and Sam Whaley sat in class and learned what he could hear. Not what he read, but what he could hear. And I remember sometime after that, when I was living in Shamala and had built the hospital there, that every Saturday morning, early at daylight, I could look out my kitchen door and Sam Whaley would be standing there, waiting patiently for me to open the door. Sam Whaley, what do you want? I have come to borrow two shillings, 28 cents. Well, I knew he didn't want to borrow it because he didn't have any way to pay it back and he didn't have any way to make the money to pay it back. Sam Whaley, what do you want two shillings for? I need to buy some food because I'm going to a particular village in a far place and I want to tell them about Jesus. Well, you know what I did. I gave him the two shillings every Saturday morning. Gladly. And he would go to those villages and he would tell them what he remembered about Jesus. He would tell them how Jesus had come to this earth as the Son of God to die for our sins and that through baptism he offered us salvation and immortality. And then he would return and he would tell some of the other students, I went to such and such a village and I told them everything I know. You need to go and continue to teach them. And today there are congregations all over that part of the country. They were started by an illiterate young fellow by the name of Sam Whaley who knew that Jesus died for his sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead. And Sam Whaley will face immortality because of that knowledge that he had, despite the fact that reading and writing was not a part of his lifestyle. You see, the gospel is that simple. It is the demand of Jesus that all of us come unto him. He said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. He wants us to reenact through faith his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel.
People say, well, I, I read the New Testament don't understand it. Well, it's not that difficult. The New Testament asks and answers four simple questions. <clears throat> the first one is, what must I believe in order to be saved? What must I believe in order to have immortality? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That He is not only the Son of God, but that He is God's ambassador. He's the Christ. He is God's spokesman. The Hebrew writer said that He is the author of eternal salvation. And that word author in the original language means trailblazer. Jesus not only told us how to live, he blazed the trail to show us how to live. I remember when I lived in Africa that we would go into certain areas and we would have to blaze a trail for others to follow. We usually did it, believe it or not, with toilet paper. We would take a roll of toilet paper and tear off a piece and hang it on a thorn bush. And then a hundred feet down the road we'd put another piece. And a hundred feet farther we'd put another piece. And those who followed behind could follow that trail that had been blazed to the place we were going. And that's what Jesus is. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the trailblazer. He came from God, lived among men, was tempted in all things like as we are, yet without sin, and He blazed the trail for us as the author of eternal salvation. And He encourages us to be recipients of immortality through our obedience to the gospel. The second question that the New Testament answers is, what must I do in order to be saved? And the book of Acts gives us example after example of what people did. Through their faith in Jesus Christ, they were baptized for the remission of their sins. You remember Saul of Tarsus. Jesus appeared to him on the road, blinded him, sent him into the city to wait and be told what to do. Ananias came to him and said to him, Saul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In the original language, that word be baptized is a reflexive. I'm not trying to give you an English lesson. But I'm going to tell you what that reflexive means. It means get yourself baptized. It means that you have a personal responsibility to be baptized. Sometimes people tell me, well, I was baptized as an infant. I think my parents had me baptized when I was an infant. You had nothing to do with that. The baptism that Jesus is talking about here is baptism that you do. Because of your faith, you get yourself baptized. You may have somebody help you, I'm not sure it wouldn't be valid if you did it yourself if there wasn't anybody else around. It's not the preacher that gets the credit. It's you. It's your responsibility. Arise and get yourself baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. And then we have a third question. How must I live as a Christian? What is my responsibility? What about the church? And from the book of Romans to the book of Jude, we read the answer to that question. It tells us about living as a Christian so that immortality can be ours. And then the final question is, what is my reward if I have that immortality, if I am saved? And the book of Revelation 
says, Be thou faithful unto death, and thou shalt receive a crown of life. So that's the questions that are asked and answered by the New Testament. But it's the gospel that brings immortality. It's the gospel that comes out of this book that tells us about the change of life that brings us to the Lord. Many years ago now, probably 28 or 9 years ago, don't remember exactly when, I was teaching in the Harding School of Biblical Studies both in Nassau and in Freeport. We had two campuses and every other weekend I taught in one of those campuses. I would go in on Fridays, Friday night. We spent four hours in study and Saturday morning four hours in study. We demanded that our students dedicate two years of their weekends in the 20 courses that were offered through the curriculum. And all of our elders and many of our deacons and a lot of our Bible teachers are graduates of the Harding School of Biblical Studies in the Bahamas. I remember one day I landed, tied the plane down and walked across the ramp and there was a great big mountain of a man waiting at the gate. He said, are you Brother Kasky? And I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I'm your bodyguard. And I said, I didn't know I needed a bodyguard. And he said, yes, my name is Warrior. And he said, we have had some problems in, in Freeport with gang activity, and it's been directed toward the people who come here as tourists. And he said, I know you're not a tourist, but you look like a tourist. And he said, we want you protected. And he said, we have a car waiting for you, and two of us are going to serve as your bodyguard, and we're going to take you to where you're staying, and we're going to be with you until you get ready to go back to Abaco. But he said, before we take you to that place you're staying, we've got nine men that are waiting for us over at the beach. And we want to go over there and we want you to baptize the 11 of us. I had some questions. What happened? They said, you remember your radio program, Search for Truth. And how at the end of that program you offer a free Bible and Bible study. He said, we were listening to that program in our gang headquarters. And we ordered those Bibles and Bible studies and we began to study them in our meetings. And he said, there are 11 of us that want to be baptized. So we went to the beach. I baptized these 11 men. I took them over to the church building and introduced them to one of the preachers. I taught my class that night and the next morning and I flew back to Abaco to preach on Sunday. <clears throat> I won't say I forgot about it, but I sort of lost track of these 11 men. A number of years later, in fact not long ago, I was in Freeport holding a meeting. And a very pretty young lady in her mid-twenties came to the front where I was standing and she said, Brother Kasky, my father is blind, but he wants to greet you. His name is William, and I wonder if you would come and greet him. I said, I'll be glad to, and I 
went back to the back, and there were about three or four rows of people that were obviously sort of sitting together back there. And one of them was this blind man. And I said, William, I'm glad to meet you. And I reached and felt for his hand. And he said, Brother Caskey, you know me. But you don't know me by William. You know me by my old name, Warrior. He said, this is my daughter and her husband and they're Christians. He said, my wife died a year ago and she was a Christian. I'm staying with my daughter and son-in-law now because of my blindness. And they take care of me. And he said, all of these people here are the families of those other nine men that you baptized on the beach that day long ago. And I thought Isaiah 55 and verse 10. My word shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God had found its way into the hearts of those 11 men and then had continued to grow in the hearts of their families. And now they filled about three or four pews in the back of the building. The word of God contains the gospel and brings about salvation. Warrior died about two years ago. Complications of all kinds. But I want to challenge you with something. When God gets through with you and your time on this earth, and you have stood in judgment before the judgment seat of Christ, and you've heard the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. And you walk in those streets of that city that's been prepared. Ask somebody. Does anybody know the man that was blind and now sees? You see, there's no blind people in heaven. The man named William that used to be called Warrior. And when you find him, you tell him. I was a member of the Graber Road Church. We were some of those people who bought those Bibles that were sent to you and you studied. And that's why you're here today. And I'll guarantee you that old warrior will give you a big hug. You see, the gospel is God's power and the salvation. It is the gospel that brings about eternal life. It is the gospel that brings us immortality. You're here tonight because you want immortality. If you didn't, you'd be somewhere else. Our lesson tonight's not going to be long. They're going to be drawn out. If you planned on sleeping, it's going to be a short nap. But I have a question for you. Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? That's the only question I've got for you. Have you been baptized? Have you reenacted the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life? You may be a young person who's reached the age of accountability and who knows 
what one needs to do to be saved, to have immortality, and you just haven't done it. You've been putting it off thinking maybe one day. Today's the accepted time. Today's fine. There's water in the baptistry, I hope. There is. I see people shaking their heads. In the Bahamas, we don't have baptistries. We have an ocean. And so we just go to the sea. But we have a baptistry ready to wash away your sins. And you can get yourself baptized tonight before we leave here. You may be an older person. You may have been attending services for a long time. You may feel very comfortable in the fact that you study and come to services. But you've never taken that step to reenact the death and burial and resurrection of Christ in your life. You've never been baptized. I don't want you to leave here tonight without the hope of immortality. It's too important. So we're going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. It could be that you have a burden on your heart. Something that weighs heavily and you've been praying about it. And you'd like to have some others pray with you and for you. We'll do that. It may be that there's sin in your life and you want forgiveness and God promises forgiveness. It may be that there is a loved one of yours or a friend who needs prayer and you want to pray a prayer of intercession for them, we'll pray with you and for you in that regard too. And so we're going to sing a song in a few minutes. We normally call this an invitation song. Don't know exactly when that started. I understand it started back in the 1800s, but that was before my time, so I don't know exactly when. Some preacher started it and it sort of caught on. Nothing wrong with it. Pretty good deal. A lot of these services then were held outside and it was dusty and they used to put sawdust down the aisles to get the dust down and it got to be called walking down the sawdust trail. And we have invited over the years people to come to the front when we offer an invitation song. Come to the front and there will be somebody here, a preacher, maybe some of the elders here to help you. And we want to invite you to come to the front. Well, that's fine. But you ever thought somebody might be a little bit intimidated in front of a lot of people, some of whom they don't know, to come to the front? You know, I, I'd like to do that, but I'm, I'm a little bit intimidated by that. We're going to make it easy for you tonight. If you'd like to be baptized or if you have need of prayer in your life, when we stand to sing, all you have to do is just raise your hand. I'm going to ask the preacher and the elders of this congregation to come down here to the front and into the sides, into the side aisles if necessary. Keep an eagle eye. If you see somebody with their hand raised, go to them. You can help them. Now, if that still intimidates you and you don't want to raise your hand, we're going to make it even easier than that. Nudge the person next to you and say, I'm a little embarrassed to raise my hand. Would you raise your hand for me? Now, how much easier than that does it get? If you want to walk down this aisle and come to the front, that's wonderful. That's fine. Be somebody here to greet you. If you want to raise your hand, that's fine. If you want your neighbor to raise their hand, that's fine. The important thing is don't leave this building tonight unsaved.
Don't leave here tonight not having had your sins washed away in baptism. Otherwise, you have no promise of immortality. You have no promise of facing God without fear. In the cardiac rehab classes that I attend, we had a woman by the name of Elaine. She was a Pima Indian. The Pima are a sub-tribe of the Navajo. She's a nurse, or was. And she said, David, as a nurse, I have stood by the beds of many of my Pima and Navajo people who were dying. And said, among the Navajo, they believe that when it comes your time to die, that one of your ancestors will come back and stand by you and take your hand and walk with you across the river to the other side so that there will be no fear. And she said, I have stood by the bed of those who were dying and they were so intent in that belief that they would say to me, Elaine, this is my grandfather. And there would be nobody standing there. But they believed there was. I said, Elaine, there's something for the Christian that's better than that. In Isaiah, the 34th chapter and verse 2, the God of heaven talks about walking across the waters with you. Walking through the river that will not overflow you. And so for the Christian, one who seeks immortality and has that promise of immortality, having been baptized for the remission of their sins, there is the promise that when it comes my time to quit the walks of men, that Jesus will be sitting there beside me and will take my hand and walk with me through the river and bring me up in glory on the other side. I know you want that promise. So we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing this song of invitation. Come to the front if you want to. Raise your hand or get your neighbor to raise theirs. Whatever the need is. There's going to be elders in the aisles and up here at the front. Somebody looking out for you. But if you need to come to Jesus, do it now while we stand and as we sing.